space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And joining us once again are Dr. Squee. Hello. And Ambassador Nicola. Hello. Uh, by the way, I'm loving the intro. So, yeah, we've got a, a full house then. And um, we've come back together to talk about one of the movies because uh, a year or so ago, well, 18 months ago, someone had a daft idea that we'd be able to talk about all 13 in two hours. And <laughs> yeah, that went well, didn't it? It really did. I was like, let's just see what we can do in that time. <laughs> I don't think that was the briefing. I think the briefing was we're going to do them all into a... Anyway, suffice to say we didn't. And we're, we're picking up now on um, the first of the Kelvin timeline films, or what, were, what became called the ta- Kelvin films. But the film itself is just called Star Trek from 2009. And they yeah, got it's, go now, on, now everyone calls it Star Trek 2009, but it's yeah. actually just called Star Trek. Yeah, because the motion picture was called obviously the motion picture, not just Star Trek. So yeah, they could get away with just calling it Star Trek, which was which was nice, I suppose, and not in any way confusing. We don't have to yeah, keep. Yeah, it was a straight reboot. It's not a straight reboot though, is well, it? Well, no, but it was it was done as a reboot. It's done it's done in a way not to interfere with the prime timeline. Yes, which that's I think, which I think is important. What they did. Yes, that's yeah. the key thing. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. There, there's so much consternation and argument in the Trek community, and I just I love it when it's friendly. When we get these these arguments over stuff, which doesn't matter at all, but as long as it's friendly, it's just so much fun to pick over these little details. So like the arguments over, someone call it reboot, then someone else go, well, actually, it's not a reboot because technically it continues on the timeline. Ah, but if it continues on the timeline, how comes it in the past? I love all that. And it's, <laughs> It's one of the best examples where I think they've done it so well to say, look, everything you love still exists, but here's yeah. something which also exists and will give you one line which explains it all. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think it's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? Not to disrupt what's happened, what we've all seen previously. Yeah, and to do it, well, I mean, it has put a lot of people's backs up, but <laughs> to do it without putting as many backs up as you might have done is a pretty good balancing act. So I remember when they first announced it and it was sort of announced as a reboot, and I was like, no, no, not for me, don't be doing that. And then the fact that they did it within the continuity, then I, after that I was absolutely fine. I'm like, right, okay, you can do what you like now, it's it's fine. Yeah, and, and we've now gone past it in the prime timeline, and we've kept it in there, what happened, how it came about. Yeah. So yeah, I think what I love about it is that... Uh, it kind of has its cake and eats it too, because that moment, like, I was a bit like you. When I saw the uh, planet Vulcan exploding, I was like, ah, mm. I mean, but then nothing that I've seen could happen. And then they said that one line, and I, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm jumping the gun a little, but I will. It's that line where he, he just goes on the bridge, he goes, uh, Spock goes, no matter what our lives would have been, we now have a completely different uh, destiny. Oh, and just yeah. that one line, which I probably butchered there, just makes everything okay it's like yeah again and having the original spot prime there also means like because he's there 
everything you know must have happened without you know he could not be there if that those things yeah. did not happen just this is now happening in new universe and it also means the writers and the creators behind it don't have their hands you know hands handcuffed to just tell the same old stories that we've seen before which is as wonderful as they are we want something new from those yeah movies, even though it's, yeah, it's the- taking things forward yeah whilst going back it's genius yeah See, i think psychologically as well actually that part screws with you i think when jim comes out and start saying, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. And he's going, no, we've got to join back with Starfleet. And he's going, no, we're going to do this. And like, it starts screwing with me because I keep thinking to myself, well, he's saying about the timeline changing, but what if that was the timeline? What if Jim was meant to change it? And it just, that screws with me a little bit. Well, he said, like he says so, doesn't he? Ever since the point where the Nostrada comes out and it attacks the Kelvin, from mm. that moment on, things have changed. But what if it, that was meant to happen? Well, yeah, well, in, in that reality, it is. Just in our yeah, reality, it's, it's not. It's weird, it, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah, it gets yeah. me every time. They apparently, um, there was some sort of deleted lines and whatnot. Um, there was going to be a bit where Spock Prime, when they bumped into Scotty, was going to have a line about, oh, it's the timeline trying to repair itself, so it's bringing, it's bringing you together mm-hmm. even though things have changed. And that was sort of going to explain all the coincidences and how they I'm all... Sure, I'm sure that's mentioned in Star Trek, and I can't remember where. And they say about time being elastic. It's like a rubber band, so if you change things, things do come back to sort of... Yeah. It, it tries to put itself as close as it can. Yeah, and that <laughs> apparently that was part of the script, but um, yeah... <laughs> Well, I, I kind of like, I sort of like that, that, that it was in a deleted script, but I like it's not in the main one, because I kind of love the idea in this film that Spock Prime, who we've seen his journey over the years, going from like a stalwart, like logic only, and you see him softening in the later movies, and he gets to this point where he is directly, uh, can we swear on this? Yep. Yeah. Where it's directly <laughs> fucking with time. <laughs> Spock has gone so far, like on his journey, even though he respects logic, he is prepared to fuck about with time for for what he feels is right. He feels it's right that Spock and uh, James T. Kirk, no matter what universe you're in, those two people should be friends. It's important to them. It's important to the universe. And he feels that. And so he brings them together. And that's his choice. As much as I love that deleted stuff, if you put that in, it kind of takes that away from it that he's doing that. You know, yeah. he's choosing to do that. It takes away Spock's sort of impetus towards it and everything, his agency. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think the decision, though, was probably more of a, this has got to be a blockbuster, so we don't want to confuse people with too much sci-fi stuff because Hollywood somewhat naively thinks that intelligent blockbusters don't make money, despite the fact that you have things like Inception making a ton of money. And Yeah, and, yeah know, Hollywood's very strange. It's a strange yeah, place, and the, you know, the, the time travel stuff in Avengers Endgame even is more complex than this. And that film did all right at the box office, so... <laughs> yeah, I think it made a penny. Yeah, one or two. Um, ooh, weirdly, uh, you know, because in China they're reopening the cinemas again. Um, Yes, they're starting to reopen cinemas, but because there's no new films to show, they're showing old blockbusters again. And one of them is Avatar, so I bet Avatar's going to overtake Endgame again. Um, Oh, for for viewing figures. Yeah, in global box office takings, uh, because Endgame only beat it by, I say only, but it's only some, it's it's tens of millions that it beat it by. And if they release it again in China with no else to go see, it'll probably do it. 
Yeah, because what they did was to get Endgame over the line, they actually released it with that kind of like three minutes extra footage. Yeah, which was bollocks. Oh, it was terrible bollocks, but they did, you know, they were kind of wearing on their sleeves a bit. It's like, look, we've added these extra three minutes because we want to get it over the line as the most successful film of all time. Or, you know, most um, box office of all time. Yeah, it's and a bit. They did say when that happened that Avatar will, in any kind of reshowing for any anniversary, it will then overtake it. And it'll be basically a game cat and mouse of them doing that mm. until someone launches something. Which yeah, and then they'll get, release Endgame again and then maybe... Well, you'll get like when, like they do these all-together things, like I did it for Captain America. Yeah, yeah. I went and saw five movies for Civil War. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and it'll come out with that. It'll be like the next Avengers movie will come out and it'll be showing us to go see all five of them and things. Yeah, yeah probably. Anyway, shall we, shall we go back to Star Trek <laughs> briefly? <laughs> you know. So, and, and I knew it was my fault. I probably steered that conversation away, but you know what I mean. Let's, let's do a bit of Star Trek. So, yeah. we won't sort of go through it sort of beat by beat for the whole film. So it's a fairly long film. But we'll try and touch all the bases, and if I miss anything, stop me and we'll go back. But starts off then, the, what I really like about this opening is you get the fanfare and you get all the 18,000 different studio logos that seem to have worked on this film. <laughs> um, and the first thing you get is a view of the ship, but it's a view of the ship that we've never seen in Star Trek before. Like you, We've talked about this, Elliot, on numerous episodes, how in next gen and things like that it was all very standardized and you very rarely got dynamic angles of the ships and things like that but straight yeah, but away still have it been a physical model of course and the camera could only move in a cer- to certain places no absolutely but straight away we're seeing that this is is something new it's been presented in a way that we've not seen but the first sound we hear is a sound effect from the original series like one of the scanners or something so yeah it's it's new. It's like um, you were saying, Squee, it's old, but it's new straight away. It's yeah. giving us something familiar from the beginning. Yeah. To make us feel at home. It's making us feel at home with this new new movie. It, it's familiar. Yeah. My, I even add, I think this is a beat that uh, Picard could learn from going to series two, is we want some familiar along with the new yeah. stuff. Like, it's okay to add new stuff, but we need to see what we came there for we came there for star trek we don't you know we want it to expand and go somewhere new but it's like you know and sometimes in picard they'll get out, out what they refer to as an old school medical tricorder yes and last then week. it looks different like why not have isn't that a perfect moment to bring in something that we'll go yeah well, oh, oh, you yeah. want a warm hug every now and again yeah yeah i mean we talked about that on our last episode and we said w- we need to check whether that was an enterprise tricorder or maybe a discovery tricorder um but like you i was saying been perfect for it to be a next generation tricorder wouldn't ab- it? absolutely and you'd straight away gone ah there we are but yeah so yeah, nice linking. So on yeah. this on this ship then, which obviously we find out's the Kelvin, there's the captain, but he's in blue. So what's yeah. what's going on there? Anyone heard anything justification for that or I mean I'll just throw out that like the colours of uniform have changed over the years so many times that you know, why not pre um the Enterprise we know that was the colour at that time? Yeah. Yeah, all yeah. yeah. oh, all the yeah. discovery I, I uniforms are blue. Like, I've seen the Enterprise where they're all in blue. And yeah. Discovery, they're all in blue. Yeah. No, I'm not saying it's a massive problem. I just, I only noticed it this time, and I don't know how many times I've seen this film. Right. Well, 
I've seen it quite a lot, and it didn't it didn't bother me because of Enterprise have been before it. Yeah, of course. And it's the... before the original series because it's like the birth of Kirk, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it predate Discovery so it as well. So thirty years before TOS. Yeah, and then um, obviously we've got Captain Kirk's dad, who is a very recognisable face now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I was trying to think where I've seen him before. Um, I got, I got a bit Thor trying to think where I've seen him before. <laughs> yeah, he's you got um... Thor thinking about him, did you? Yeah, oh, I, hell yes, I did. <laughs> the greatest of all Hemsworths, and they're all gods. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, we were watching um, Westworld the other day, and when uh, the chap in that came on, Chloe was like, "Ah, the least successful of the Hemsworths." <laughs> yeah, least successful, and he still makes successful and still looks great. Yeah, That's and I'm it. like. Annoying. But I pointed out, I'm like, Liam doesn't do much these days. Did the Hunger <laughs> Games. Mm. So, you know, I think he he could be vying for second place, but there's no question that Chris is the the number one. But it's one of them weird ones where he was sort of nobody at the time, and then it's like now, it's like, oh, it's Thor, what's he doing? Yeah, he was <laughs> sort, sort of uh, just breaking through into Hollywood, wasn't he? Yeah. So, and what, what, in about... Five minutes of screen time. He is dynamic. Like it's no oh, wonder after this he gets picked up for Thor and for all these other wonderful film roles. He is just so electric in that role. He looks like oh, you know, electric uh, is a so, well. He looks. He looks like a young um, William Shatner in that. Just so well. Like there's there's just so much. To be fair, I think he'd have been better. It like I don't think Chris Pine plays Kirk brilliantly. I think Hemsworth would have played. A, I think Hemsworth and Pine. It'd have been better swapped roles in this movie. Oh, I don't know. I really like Chris Pine as Kirk. I don't think he gets Kirk right. I, I, I think he misses him. But it's a different version of Kirk, isn't it? It's a Kirk yeah. that's not had the the father figure to steer him, and it's yeah. mm. it's kind of delinquent. Kirk. Well, yeah. the way I see it is that that um, with some people, like you know, you've got Zachary Quinto, you've got uh, Keith Urban. Uh, the two prime examples. You have got some of the the actors are playing like you know they're, they're sort of playing the actor who went before them as well as the character in a way yeah. which which I really but, like. But, 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 but I'm nearly there, Ellie. I'm nearly there. <laughs> <laughs> but with, but with with um, uh, Chris Pine, you've got he's playing the character more. I don't think he plays William Shatner playing Kirk. He plays his version of Kirk. And I think that's the kind of difference. It's like, her is a bit between the two and you've got other people. Like, obviously, um, uh, Simon Pegg is playing his version of Scotty yeah. rather than a version he, of James Yeah, he's Do- definitely not playing... Um, James Doohan. James Doohan, is he? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, over to you, sir. No, but I really like, like how Cal Burton is... I think his McCoy is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And yeah, straight yeah. away... You get that he is McCoy by his voice, yeah, and mannerisms, and I just don't think, and I don't get that same from Chris Pine as being Kirk. Yeah, it's I, definitely different. I think mannerism wise, and I think the spirit of it, I do think is very Kirk, yeah. but it is a subtly different Kirk, which, as you say, you know, he's not doing Shatner, so subtlety can begin to play a part of <laughs> Kirk's characterization. <laughs> We're not entirely used to, but um, yeah, we'll sort of get onto the characters, you know, as we go yeah. through and everything. But I think the opening sequence is great, and you know, you've got the captain, and he goes over to Narada, and you get a bit of a battle and everything, and the heroic sacrifice, and 
all of this stuff, and this is basically a, a pre-credits thing. Um, well, if I might, James, sorry, yeah? I, just, I just don't want to skip over it, because you've got all this wonderful stuff, you've got the battle, you've got the captain going, they're all great, but it's that one scene where you've got um, the new default Captain Kirk Sr. at the helm, and he's about to kind of go off to his shotcraft, and then you get that scene where he sacrificed himself, yeah. and he's on the pump to his wife, who's about to kind of like, yeah, he's launching with his baby. You know, they haven't got time for a tearful goodbye, even though they kind of got one. They just have to talk about the baby because that's his only chance he's going to get to talk yeah, about that, the baby yeah. and, and, and all that. And I, it, that scene gets me every time. There is not, I, I don't care how many times I watch it. I will always bob up at that scene. It's so pitch perfectly played. You believe he's a man who's about to die. Like it just, it's all in this expression. But the delivery of the lines is talking about a baby's name. But it's all in the way he delivers it, and it's just perfect. Him and uh, Jennifer, whatever her name is from uh, Hanson. I want to say Jennifer Morrison. That's it. That's it, Jennifer Morrison. It, it's wonderful. Yeah. Perfect. And I like that you get these little sort of Easter eggs and stuff like Tiberius is his father's name and <laughs> Jim's her father's name, and we get all of that and everything. And like you say, it is. It's the there's almost playful banter with it. Like, oh, Tiberius, that's the worst, even though it's yeah. this dire, dire situation and everything. And it is, yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant opening that, think, I mean, just thinking about the film generally and what its purpose was is basically we're relaunching the Star Trek film series as a blockbuster film series is what this was designed to do. This relaunching is, Star Trek, like, Let's be honest about this. Back in 2009, Star Trek was dead as a franchise. Oh, yeah. But the <laughs> the thing is, it's not just relaunching it. It's not relaunching it as what you've seen before. It's relaunching it as this is going to be a tentpole summer blockbuster. This is before there was any chance of a Star Wars revival. So you do get the sense that this they wanted this to be the big sci-fi franchise. And Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well... <laughs> like when this came out, they were talking about the comics were going to be canon, linking in bits of the story. There was going to be TV series and all sorts. Yeah, but the and so because they do that, it's the film's got to function differently. It's got to be more action heavy. It's got to be more um, a sort of sense of adventure, and it, it's got to appeal to. They call it a four-quadrant film, don't they? So it appears to all the age groups and this, that, and the other. So straight away, the, this opening sequence is meant to hook you in, even if you've never seen Star Trek before. Oh, oh absolutely. It was designed that they didn't just want the Star Trek fans. The Star Trek fans, historically, isn't enough for a big blockbuster. No. They needed the normal, everyday Joe on the street that goes to the cinema to want to go see this. And I think this film pretty much succeeded with that, but I think as the series went on, they lost that a bit, and that's probably why we're still sat around waiting for the fourth one. Um, well, I mean, I think there's also the fact that um, I think if you know your Star Trek like we do, you realise that this is totally Star Trek. This has got all the hallmarks. They've kind of kind of put in the greatest hits in it. Yeah. They've made so many references to the parts while making something totally new. But it's like people who see the action in it and they say, oh, they've tried to make it all Star Wars. No, they haven't. They've just added action to Star Trek. They kept all that's important to Star Trek. They've just added a few extra flavors, which is absolutely fine. And yeah. And yeah. It's wonderful. 
I agree with you. But a lot of the re- a lot of the reason we didn't have this big action. Well, we did because we got DS9. We had loads of it in DS9, but we didn't have it in TOS or TNG for budget reasons. Oh yeah, the space battles and stuff. I mean, TOS, you got a lot of fighting. You got your Kirk Fu and stuff every couple of episodes. <laughs> so you know that has always been there, but it's definitely a different approach and. You can see that even in, like, the the title card. You know, it's this big, bombastic, you know, Star Trek letters plastered all across the screen. And, you know, it's much more grandiose, I suppose, than it's ever really been before. And again, I like it because it's it's unabashedly sort of reveling in the Star Trek-ness of it all, which is another thing that I think it had to overcome. Because well, this does what the motion picture wanted to do. Yeah. I'd... Basically, being the big, big blockbuster that had appealed to everybody. Yeah, I'd go I'd go with that. Yeah, and I, I think there's also the fact that uh, they, they put in the... They tried to do... They did do some wonderful space fights in DS9, but, oh, my God, they abused the privilege of CGI and some it not great. <laughs> this, is, this is action in Star Trek looking fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, while we're discussing that, then... Oh, sorry, Nicola. That's all right. No, I said lens flares and all. That was me still. That's what I was about to say, is how do we feel about the lens flares? Well, again, um, you abuse the privilege, but... <laughs> I, I don't mind some of it, but I think it got used too much. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think it's one of them that you notice it a lot at the start of the film and it's either used less or you've just got used to it as the film goes on because it doesn't I think seem it's to... A case, it's actually a case of uh, you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, probably. There's a huge amount of it all the way through. Yeah. Uh, and there's too much of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd get, yeah. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that one. As I say, it doesn't... It doesn't feel that jarring to me, but I think it is, like you say, because you get... Um, I think you get used to it, and, like, I think it's fair to say that all four of us have probably watched this movie quite a lot over the years. So we're really used to it, so we probably don't notice it the same way. Yeah, I mean, we can pick, you know, people will talk about lens flares in general, but we can go, oh, you mean the lens flare in scene 27? That's the one. (laughs) But, and 26 um, and 25. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's two in 25. Um, so, yeah, the next bit then is Kirk as a boy in a car. We get a nice little voice cameo from Greg Grunberg, um, who crops up in all J.J. Abrams' stuff. Um, who's Apparently he calls him every time he hears about one of his projects and says, uh, so what's my part in it? Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. And I know, like, uh, in... Because he plays the X-Wing pilot, doesn't he, in the new Star Wars films, and he refused to shoot a death scene because he was like, I know you're going to blow me up, so I'm not going to do anything where I scream or where it looks like I'm in peril because I know that you're just going to see giant explosion over me and I'm going to be dead. <laughs> so uh, so that's why you get him You get him back in. And man, he does blow up in Rise of Skywalker, doesn't he? Anyway, that was the end of the series, so it wasn't like you were going to come back again after that one. So, yeah, he's doing the voiceover. He's Kirk's stepdad. We get a Nokia phone with the Nokia ring and the Beastie Boys sabotage. Yeah, he's listening to classic mu- classical music. Yeah. Now, I have a, I have a little bit of a problem with this scene. Go on. And 
it is nitpicking, but he's in Nairo in America, and there's almost sort of in the middle of the no- nowhere. There's not a lot of other people around by the looks of it, and yet the roads are in perfect condition. But everyone goes. They don't go around in cars on roads anymore. We see that from the police guy. True. His stepdad has got a classical car that is maintained and kept going. It isn't a normal a normal way people get around. Mm. So why have these huge stretches of road still maintained in perfect condition? Tarmac mm. overgrows very quickly if left alone. So as a, it depends on how long ago the roads were used, and if there's still a thing of, uh, like, you know, that some have postulated when we get self-driving cars, we'll only have people driving on the traditional roads that kind of like for sport and stuff. Maybe they're maintained for that very reason. Maybe there's a local scene in um, classical car driving. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It just, it, it, I was just watching it. Stop my ass. When I've been watching <laughs> it again, and I, it just struck me, and I was thinking, hold on, the, the copper's on a hover bike. We know that. The transport all over the place. Driving along in a mo- in a motor car isn't actually a normal form of transport. Maybe. So why you've got the roads in perfect condition? Maybe it's Kirk's stepdad because he loves his classic car that much that he's like, I'm off out here and I'm going to sort all these roads out so I can drive Possibly. around on it. <laughs> but, it just struck me as odd. Yeah, I'll. I I have no answer for it. So. You know what? If we ever get J.J. Abrams on the show, we'll ask him. We'll like, explain yeah. yourself with your roads. <laughs> so, has anyone heard the weird theory as to why it's sabotaged by the Beastie Boys? No, I'd like to hear. Okay, it's... Yeah, it's bizarre. There is an animated series episode where Kirk says sabotage, but Shatner can't say it properly, so he says yeah. sabotage. Sabotage. And- and so some people are like, oh, this is this is a deliberate dig at Shatner. So we've picked the song Sabotage because we know he can't say it, oh. which I don't, I don't oh. believe that's true for a minute. But you know what? If we're not here for obscure trivia, what are we here for? So I thought, I'm happy to go with that being the reason. And you Actually, reckon- just going back to your thing, and this has taken us a little bit off field, you saying about the roads. Um, one of the episodes that we watched of uh, Doctor Who, uh, the Jodie Whittaker series, yeah, and there was a bit in there where they drain the Thames, and I don't know if you've seen that one. I can't remember oh, which it's episode. David Tennant. Uh, is it David Tennant? One Sorry, the Christmas ones. David yeah. Tennant. Oh, Sorry, the Runaway Bride. We were, we were watching so many the Arachnids. Yeah, yeah I know which one. Uh, the Runaway Bride. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, um, there was a bit where they drain the Thames, and the water is absolutely crystal clear that's coming through and i'm saying to him well, where's the trolley where, where's, <laughs> yeah. the, where's the tire coming where's you know, all where's the condoms the, yeah, yeah they the water and the waterbed is just clean as a yeah. whistle <laughs> the water's just coming through absolutely you could drink the water that's coming through yeah the thames isn't known for its uh purity exactly. is it there's <laughs> a sea of used condoms come on yeah it just yeah. reminded me of that when you said about the roads yeah 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 it's not saying that you ever hear let's go uh See the crystal clear waters of London. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, yeah, that is true. But the good thing is we can say whatever we want now because now that Nicola's mentioned Jodie Whittaker, everyone's going to have turned off. I'm joking. Oh, I'm so sorry. I have no issue with Jodie Whittaker. I was I'm making, I was making I a joke. I have no issue with uh, Jodie. I was making a joke at the expense I of the people. I Simon. At the people who... Sorry. Chris, in it. 
What, Chris Chibnall? Yeah, Chris yes. Chibnall. Anyway, well, that's for another podcast. Sorry, that's me making <laughs> Doctor Who jokes. But I want to put it out there, no problem with Jodie Whittaker whatsoever. I was, making whatsoever. A, I was making a joke about the, shall we say, more vocal parts of the fan base. Anyway, so interspersed with all this with Kirk, we've got Spock in his learning pod and on Vulcan. And, you know, then we jump to Spock being older and everything. I really like that that scene with the learning pods. So it reminds me of the bit in Star Trek Four where he's doing the re-education. Yeah. How do you feel? That's the one. Yeah. They even use a question in there from that those questions. Yes, they do, don't they? The, he was the matron of the philosophy of the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So right. I, th- I yeah. think those How do we scenes... feel about the other Vulcan kids trying to insult him every day? I think it was done really well because they're, they're sort of like using the veneer of logic as an excuse why they're bullying him for being illogical. So yeah. even they, they are blatantly being uh, emotional in their way by doing that because otherwise why do they feel need to be bullies? Yeah. Um, they're using your logic as a shield. And I love the way he addresses them as well. It's like, I assume you're prepared new insults for me. I mean, did yeah. You yeah, this is <laughs> your 34th attempt. Yes. Oh, Nicola, go on. Say yeah. again. No, it's just saying it reminds me of young Sheldon. Yes, it does actually. Yeah. I've not thought of that. <laughs> and it sets up this thing that's going to recur throughout it that uh, Spock really doesn't like your mama jokes. That's kind of his his trigger, and this comes back over and over again. And speaking of Spock's mum, it's Winona Ryder. Yeah, be now, careful how you speak about Spock's mum. He's touchy about it. He's said, we've said this. I know he is. But this is very touchy. Now, Winona Ryder, I remember reading an interview with her at the time, and I swear this is what she said. She said, them casting me as Amanda is going to give the fans the same sort of feeling as when they see Marlon Brando as Jarrell in Superman. What the? I mean, she's great in that role, and she actually, I really like her as an actor, but what? Yep, that's yeah, what she said. It's not comparable. <laughs> I didn't think so. It um, didn't give me that feeling. No, I didn't, no I, until you said it then, I've never thought that. No, and now the... you've said it, I still don't think that. <laughs> it's one of those things whereby not only can you not, you're not allowed to say that about yourself, that's for other people to say. Yes. But, but no one can call it in advance. You have to play it and then it either happens or it doesn't. You can't, it's like when someone, when someone on a um, TV show, apparently this happens a lot where they go to the star of the show and go, uh, you know, like late night shows in America, they go, oh, could you do a bit that goes viral with me? You know, <laughs> when, a, when an actor's going on, it's like they go, no, we can't practice. We do bits and we put them online and then they go viral or they yeah. don't. You can't pick something to be the next Yeah, you can't, you can't choose what everyone's going to suddenly go, wow. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty dumb. So there we go. That's what she said. I thought I'd put that out there. Can um, I just touch on what you were saying before? Uh, sorry, like this is sure. going to just pick up on every moment because I love this film so much. But <laughs> it's the, the the thing with Spock. The thing which I was saying to Nicole last night is I am always so struck with how Zachary Quinto is the first person and unfortunately probably the last since um, Leon Nimoy and the original series Next Generation, which plays Vulcans perfectly. Like in all the other ones, they, they never quite get the line right. Like, you know, um, Tuvok in Voyager was quite good, but all the other ones, they always give too many flares of emotion. With, with the way he does, it's perfectly so that he can sort of deny it a lot of the time. Like when they've got Sarek there, he does a couple of moments where he kind of implies that he's being a bit logical. And he even has that one moment where he goes, 
when his whole planet's died, inclu- including his wife, only then can he says, can he say, you once asked me why I married yeah. you. It's, it's not because it was a logical thing to do. I married her because I loved her. Only under those circumstances could he show emotion. And they play that a blinder in this. And I just think in the, all the other versions, including like, you know, recently in, um, in Discovery, they overplay the emotion of the Vulcans, yeah. you know, like it's, it's too much on the surface. There's not enough kind of restraint. Whereas Leonard Nimoy showed the perfect example of how to just imply it, never quite give it away, imply it, imply, imply. And I think Zachary Quinto does that well, really actually, well, even though obviously in this film, they have moments where his planet and his mother's just got destroyed. So then he can show emotion only yeah. then. Well, it actually comes across when he says, you, you have and always will be my friend. Yeah. Um, that is an emotional thing to say, but it never feels like it's... But, but even then, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, even then, that's after years worth of journey when we get yeah. to the films. Only then has he reached a stage where he can sort of start to accept his... Yeah, films. that... N- well, that's like, it started in the wrath of calm, didn't it? That. Uh, yeah. 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 But with, with, with stuff like um, the other versions of stuff, like, you know, like, again, Discovery, I don't mean to pick on them, but like Discovery and DS9 and... and Loads of those other versions, I think they too quickly go to that emotional side without earning it. You've really got to have years and years and years. And only then do you give a slight raise of the eyebrow to suggest there's an emotion <laughs> happening underneath the surface. I know what you mean. Underneath the surface. And obviously, as you know, we watched The Rough of Khan just recently and met, uh, well, we didn't meet him, but we listened to the Q&A as well with uh, William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. that is cool. Did he have some that- good stories and... Oh, it was a great one which he told about playing pranks on DeForest Kelly. Because oh, <laughs> he said he was the one who he felt a particular, for some reason he felt a kind of particular kinship to it, him. Yeah. And uh, at one stage, because he was a bit older than the rest of the cast, DeForest came up to him and he goes, um, oh, uh, Bill, I, I'm really kind of like, uh, I feel like I'm losing my memory. I'm, I, I'm, the scripts aren't going <laughs> in my head as much as usual. I'm forgetting things. And when Shannon goes, don't worry, don't worry, it's fine. Like, we all have these moments. Like, we all have memory, you know, brain parts, basically. And DeForest goes, no, but really, I'm just really worried. He goes, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And then he goes, and of course, as his friend, I had to mess with him. <laughs> so I went up to um, to Lem Nimoy and I go, right, okay, I'm going to play a trick on on um, DeForest. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to distract him. Just just take him away for whatever. And so DeForest Kelly puts um, some bagels in a toaster. <laughs> and then he goes, right, now to Len Nimoy. Len Nimoy goes, oh, I, um, DeForest, come on, I just want to have a word with you about something. Pulled him to one side. And he pops up the toaster, removes the, the crumpet, <laughs> removes the bagel, puts it down again. So he comes back, of course, stands over it, it pops and he goes, what? I, I know, I put the bread in it. <laughs> so he cuts another bagel up, puts in the toaster, of course, he goes, right, now, now Leonard. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, D, I think I've got something in my eye. Like, I don't think we've got it before. And he pulls them over. Does the same thing again, pulls up the uh, the bagel. <laughs> Down again. He comes over, standing over the toaster, it pops up again, and he's just he's there for a second, like cursing out the toaster and his own memory, and then he sees Chatton laughing in the background, and goes, <laughs> You bastard! Takes <laughs> him around the set. It was wonderful. I mean, and bear in mind, Shatner is like 89. He was turning 89 yeah, yeah. the day that we saw him ridiculous he, he looks like he's in his um 70s and he was all over the stage wasn't he he was absolutely he wasn't sat down answering questions he was literally owning the stage wasn't he and the guy who was stories. moderator actually let him down quite badly because when Shan is there he he didn't really need a moderator on the stage thank yeah, goodness yeah. oh and what was the name of that guy who was the director on that film and the guy like was looking at his notes and went oh sorry bill what were you asking Oh, never mind. Okay. And William Shatner goes back to his thing. And he asked, that happened like about two or three times. It's like, 
you got one job, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you know, it's not very hard to look good when you're presenting with William Shatner, who will basically carry the show. All you've got to be is awake. Yeah, that's it. It's one of them yeah. where you can just let him go, but. Another very brief story he told, which is more to me an impressive story, was I can never pronounce last name, but it's Ricardo. Ricardo Montalban. He had to call him, yes, he didn't like to just be called Ricardo. You had to do the accent, you know, Ricardo, Ricardo. if you spoke to him. But he was saying that by the time he'd got there, I think he'd had an injury, hadn't he? And he was pretty much wheelchair bound. When he did the film, all right, um, and and apparently that's why it's so quickly. That's why he works out. His top that's what of, I was about oh, to say. Going. You've ruined my story. Go, 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 go. <laughs> so basically, where he was wheelchair bound, every sort of sort of break he had, he would work on his upper body. So in the film, the actual pecs and that upper body is his yeah. upper body. Very impressive, and that's, that's why he did it. It's because he was yeah. so kind of like gutted he couldn't work out as he used to with his lower half because of an injury like he already had a weakness and then he had an injury when he was younger mm. and so it meant that he could only work out his upper body so if you see some of his movements through that film he's he's worked with his upper body a lot that's because his lower half is so kind of like um injured yeah he spent uh, a lot of the time that. in a wheelchair during the film no, i never heard it before yeah. it was amazing yeah. I, I didn't know that either. Mm, yeah. There we go. See, that's why it's worth going to see Bill Shatner if you can. Yeah, You'll learn all yeah. these things. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Definitely recommend. We had it as a Christmas present. Um, um, my brother, very generous. Yeah, brother, for yeah. me and his brother, and awesome. we were so excited. And it was definitely, I definitely say it was um, worth doing. And worth noting, the next day Shatner had to self self isolate. Uh, yeah, and the it was the last day when we could mm. see it, awesome. like, where it was seeable. And uh, like everything shut down within days of that, we were so lucky to the, the timing of it. It was just. Yeah. He said he's never missed a show, so he wasn't sure whether it was going to go on. And he said he spent all day trying to. Of his sickness, yeah, like, but he's just... never ever. Yeah. Yeah, it don't surprise me with him. He, well, he won't want to miss a payday, will he? But um, no, exactly. <laughs> I know if I was getting paid right. to say, I'd be on every show. He's, he's, he's got he's a, a new load of alimony to pay, I believe. Yeah, for the horses. Didn't he get some semen just recently? <laughs> yeah, horse semen. No, no, whoa, whoa. It doesn't sound, it isn't as bad as sound. He got horse semen. No, wait a minute. That sounds worse. It was in the divorce settlement. He won. It was he like won. Ah, yes, because he, he breeds horses. It was like millions horses. of pounds worth of horse semen from these kind of uh, thoroughbred horses. And he won it in the divorce settlement with his uh, now ex-wife. But he does a lot of work with less able children, doesn't he, on the horses and stuff. And, you know. Because it was hilarious. Because we're a lot of charity up, work. We kept on looking up um, William Shatner to try and see if it was cancelled, just in case it got cancelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, it, so I looked up like William Shatner, typed into Google, comes up first thing is like William Shatner wins um, ass load of bull semen in his. Uh, divorce <laughs> so, what? What? <laughs> I love the ass load. I don't think it said yeah, ass load. It said ass load. That's what it said. <laughs> yeah, and that's... of course it's not bulls, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> So Sorry, anyway, talking Star Trek 2009. Yeah, yeah? back in Star yeah. Trek 2009, um, the we get introduced sort of quite swiftly to the rest of the characters. So you get Zoe Saldana as a horror, and she meets Kirk in this bar, and there's this sort of banter about what's her name and everything. Which I'm, I think I'm right in saying you never get a horror's first name in anything up until this point. I think this is the first. I was- about that whether you did or not i was i was trying to look back and yeah remember i, I don't you think you do i think i think it was known what it was because i remember reading a thing about nichelle nichols asked mm. gene roddenberry what her first name was and he you know he gave her that as the first name 
but I think this is the first time on screen that we actually get it. And I think I think that's why there's this sort of back and forth about what is it. It's I think that's there for the fans as well as being a a flirty sort of character thing that they put in. And then you get the bar fight and everything kicks off and we get Bruce Greenwood as Pike, who Amazing. He's great. He's not Anson Mount, though. He's not, but he's his own version. Like, like yeah, Anson Mount now, of course he owns it now, but um, I think that version is in keeping with the version of Pike they wanted for this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. no problem with how he portrayed Pike. No, I don't. And I think... I know Ans- I, I, no argument for me, though. Anson Mount owns that character now. Yeah, he does. But this character, you know, isn't a million miles away from it. It's very similar. No. It's just that... There has been such a definitive performance of it now that it's it's yeah. weird going back to someone else playing it. But so I like Anson Mount. I feel like his character was a direct uh, an extrapolation of the original Pike. Like they've gone. They, this is where the character starts. Let's flesh this out, and that's what Anson Mount's done with this version, which Bruce Greenwood's playing. They've sort of used the name and maybe a little bit of the character, but they've sort of just used it as a bit of like, hey, see what we've done here? Yeah. He's... But they've written a kind of new character, really, yeah. a mental character for Kirby. It, it is. He's the mentor figure, isn't he? And you get some great lines from him, like where he's talking about the Federation is a peacekeeping and humanitarian armada, which I always really like it when you get stuff like that because you get these people who go, oh, no, it's... Uh, it's a military thing. It's like, it's not, that's not what it's meant to be. No, the Federation isn't meant to be a military thing. No. Your father say, was uh, captain of a starship for five minutes. He yeah. saved two, well, however many is like uh, 800 people, including your mother. I dare you to do better. Yeah, that's oh. brilliant. That's a brilliant line. Yeah, it is. You know, that's so good that it should and did go in the trailers. Yeah, amazing. But, yeah. And then... We see that the Enterprise is being constructed in Iowa, which is, that's new. Traditionally, the Enterprise was always constructed in orbit, but... Yeah, it's is... generally constructed in orbit, and but this yeah, is... I think it's a bit odd that it's being constructed on the ground. But this is one of those things that everything that comes after the Kelvin incursion is different. It's the butterfly effect, so... That's the way, in my mind, it's all justified because you go, okay, there was a guy on the Kelvin who was a Starship designer. He got killed, and that's why the Enterprise looks different. I just find it odd that the Enterprise was being built on the ground and not being built in space. But then you can justify that. You can say, okay, the Federation, after the Narada appeared and absolutely wiped everything out, they become a lot more fearful and they want to build the ships on Earth where they're a bit more protected on a planet rather than building them out in space. And uh, The Narada only killed uh, one ship. I know it did, but you'd still it be scared of it. Yeah. So it hasn't wiped out the Federation. It were a big bugger. You'd be terrified of it. To James's point, though, like if you wipe out the right person who was the guy who came up with space ducks at the time they did. There you go. Like, yeah, but, uh, the, yeah, but they already had a big starships that you'd assume were being built in space, like well, going from Enterprise. But all it takes is one um, one moment where you've got uh, a meeting which they have where they're saying, oh, where should we uh, construct the Enterprise? And that's the guy who in that meeting goes, you know what, I think we should stick with doing it in space. That's how we've always done it. It's great. If he's not there, maybe the person who goes, you know what? We want to try a new construction technique of building it on the surface of the earth. I have to change the design slightly for, to fix this, to make this happen. And that's where it looks different too. Drop yeah, Mike. I'm, 
I'm no, happy with it. That was the only problem with it. And this is where we get then Caleb and his bones. And what I love about it is you hear him before you see him. And as soon as you hear him, you're like, that's you bones. You know it's bones. And yeah. the same thing happens in um, the Han Solo film where Donald Glover is Lando. And you hear his voice and you're like, that's Lando. And then it comes on and you're like, oh, bloody hell, it's not Billy D. Williams. It's, you know. And yeah. it's the same thing now with, I think, how well he inhabits that character. And it there's some good fan service as well. It's like it confirms that he had an ex-wife and that was always a, a fan theory. And I think it was... And you get why he got his nickname Bones, because she only left him his bones. Yeah. Actually, isn't yeah. it mentioned in... I think it's mentioned in the original series. It's certainly mentioned in the book Shadows and the Sun, where they do explore the ex-wife. Yeah, yeah, they do. It, it was in a lot of the books, and it was originally... Remember the episode with the hippies? Um, yeah. Where the, you know, they come on and they sing the silly songs and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really bad episode. Um, so a, in the, the one in it's in season three and they just all come on and go whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's, like um, it's great for how bad it is it's yeah just, it's one of no it's not i think great. it's like i think his wife is maybe or his ex-wife is maybe mentioned in um, this side of paradise maybe actually yeah but right my point about the hippies is originally that was one of the hippies was meant to be bones's daughter and that's where all this backstory was going to come in. And they went, no, oh, no, that'll make the episode half interesting. No, chuck that out. And we'll just put a couple <laughs> more scenes with them singing in. Um, so, But it's nice that we finally get that as proper part of the backstory and everything. And yeah, and then obviously we, we time jump forward and they've done the Academy and everything. And this is where uh, we get the Narada again. How does everyone feel about the fact that they've apparently just been floating around for 20-odd years? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 27 years, no one's seen them. Yeah. yeah. Are but they, they just been waiting? I think they knew the star date they were waiting for, though, because they were waiting for Spot Prime to come through they were. the hole. So they had to wait for that. I think that's the one thing which basically gives you logic on that. So basically, they were waiting for him to come through, and as soon as they, he does... Only then is Nero ready to blow up Vulcan. And the fact oh, that he yeah. gets to do it in front of two Spocks makes it all the sweeter. So I think he purposefully waits that long because he, maybe he's figured out somehow that's when he's going to emerge. You know, he's done some sort yeah, of... Yeah, like, I, think, I think James's point is that this huge, big-ass ship they've managed yeah. to be hide, hide it for 27 years and no one's seen it. It is black, you know, blend in space very but it's a, It is a giant squid, essentially, isn't yeah. it? It's amazing. Or, I love the ship, but it is a giant squid. Or it could be because there was a subplot which was filmed and then deleted where Nero gets captured by the Klingons and kept yes. for 20 years in a Klingon prison. And the yeah, it is on deleted scenes, isn't it? And that's why he's, um, if you look, he's got the tip of his ear cut off from this point onwards. Ah. And, so, and the, Vulcan, the, the Klingons and that looked awful. I've seen that deleted yeah, yeah. So and, and, I, and it was just, it had really slowed the film down and everything. I understand totally why they cut it. Uh, but, you know, people do get a bit bent out of shape. And if you watch really closely in the, the first scene where they're back, I only noticed it this time. Um, they get there because they're waiting for Spock and they go, oh, he's not here yet. And then Nero says, we wait, as we've been doing for 25 years. But you don't 
see him speak that line. I think that was additional dialogue recording. I think they dropped that in as yeah. kind of a... Cutting the Klingon scene. Because if you watch it, he's speaking, and then you just see the back of his head, and it goes, as we've been doing for 25 years. And you're like, right, okay. <laughs> so I, I've got a feeling that that's what happened there. I don't know. Um, Makes sense. So Kirk then, Kobayashi Maru, we finally see it. Yeah. Now, now, there is a bit which, I, I love this scene, by the way. Amazing, really well acted. I think they, he does do a couple of little nods to Shatner in this yes, one. Yes, he does. If Werner isn't. But the one thing which I've got a problem with this, now this is where I get nitpicky, is I, I, I'm like you. I actually find it quite fun when I'm watching it to think of the reasons why the altered timeline yeah, yeah. might cause things to work out a bit differently. This one is the only one I can't justify is why he's court-martialed, whereas he was kind of... Con- condoned for doing it last time there's no i can't think of a good reason i mean all we found he got a commendation for original thinking yeah that but here we see him going up before like the court martial the outcome could have been that he got a commendation for original thinking it's just that it gets it gets disrupted because of the not the mood in the room it's not the mood in the room but you never know you, know, you never know because he asks, he asks to uh, that he's entitled to face his accuser. Yeah, and stuff, it, it so. could have. Yeah, it, I I'm with you. It's very much a stretch. It's not the version we've been been yeah, told of it. But yeah, I don't know if against it too too badly no. because it's it's what they needed for the plot, and I have no problem with that. And there's a and, nice there's a nice little thing about. Um, he's eating the apple when he orders. He's eating an apple on the bridge when he says fire. And when he tells the story about it in Star Trek Two, he's eating an apple, and it oh genius! It's kind of like it is. A, it's linked in it's, nicely. It's almost like a sense memory. So he's eating the apple, thinking, "Oh, I was eating an apple when I did that." And it's like that's just a really nice little little thing. Um, yeah, and then we find out Spock designed the Kobayashi Maru, which that's one we've never been told that in the prime timeline. But there's no reason to think why not. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like we do have that Spock had done things on the side for Starfleet for it. anyway, because we find out in Star Trek Five he designed the new brig, so he does do things as a sort of side. We do find out in Star Trek Two that Spock didn't take the Kobayashi Maru, which would make sense if he designed it. That yeah. he wouldn't take it. So yeah, oh, give you an interesting one as well. Do you do you, did you know who plays um, the uh, president of Starfleet? In that scene, oh, oh, oh! He's he's got one of them faces. Tell me, and I'll go. Yeah, that's who I thought it was. Well, it's one more for the American audience, but it's um, Tyler Perry. That is who I thought it was. Yeah, he plays Medina in the um, oh Jeebus or whatever they she says. Yeah, he's really big, isn't he, in America? But he's not quite not quite correct. I thought it was him, but I thought what's I thought he only did crap films. So what's he doing? Well, it's one of those things where he isn't so known over here. You don't rub up against it. But, like, I can imagine Americans who are familiar with him playing this kind of drag character a bit misses doubt by a bit. Yeah, money. yeah. Like, that must be so weird for them to see. And suddenly he's like, what, what, what's Medina doing there? Yeah. It's, I mean, as I say, I did. I was like, I know that fella. Anyway. And, <laughs> yeah, so the plot sort of gets moving and everything, doesn't it? Like, they all get conscripted, basically, except Kirk. But Bone smuggles him on. And you get a great sort of hero shot of the Enterprise when they first go up in the shuttle and everything. And it's not 
it's not as indulgent, shall we say, as the similar scene in the motion picture, but I think it, it does the job. Yeah, the motion picture did that. We've it did, I, I don't think you could do get away with doing like five minutes of that again. No. No, should you? No, you shouldn't. We've had it. We enjoy it. We watch it again and again, but it doesn't need doing again for yeah. anything else. And we meet the last couple of us, so we get Sulu and Chekhov. Um, obviously, John Cho playing Sulu and the late Anton Yelkin as Chekhov. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, they're both great. Um, Chekhov's accent's very, very different. And this is what you were talking about, Squee, about the, you know, whether you're impersonating the actor or whether you're doing your own thing with the character. And There's he's... a nice story about that. Uh, sorry, you go, Bert. No, no, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, when he was in an interview talking about this, he said, um, because he is, uh, you can probably tell by his name, he is uh, of Russian descent. So he was saying, like, I can do a flawless Russian accent. And they go, and they, they talked through with him what he could do and what the original, like, what was in the original performance. He said, so he said, look, we had to give some fan service in here. We had to, like, yeah. give some notes. So, like, you had to do the speech and bed. And he goes, no Russian speech like that. However, he said, maybe this is a guy with a speech impediment. Why not? So they just threw that in. And so he's doing a good compromise between a really right. accent, which he can do in his sleep, and doing a bit of the original character. So that was, I thought, really nicely woven in. Yeah, that's cool. And um, there's also all this is going on with Kirk and his big hands and his numb tongue and everything, <laughs> which is, it works for me. I like yeah, it. it. Well, it, I like it because um, McCoy's giving him something to some form of mumps or something. Yeah. To to smuggle him on. But then he's cures. Kirk's allergic to Yeah. <laughs> so everything he everything he gives him to cure what he's done makes him worse. And he just keeps shooting him up, doesn't he? He's like yeah. Yeah. Got shoot you up. You got this shoot you. Yeah, he I, sort I, of something, sticks I got something for that. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Almost you know, you're bordering on fast, but it, they managed to do it. It's just so well timed, so that you get enough of it. That's a nice comedy beat, but it doesn't interfere with the drama. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then we get sort of Nero. I like the bit where uh, a Nero... lovely scene actually just before this, and it's um, with Spock when they first got onto the ship, hmm. and it's one cut, and you see him walking through a corridor. He gets in a turbo lift, does camera stays on him, and he gets off on the bridge. And it's a beautiful how it's shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's. Yeah. I, I do know how they did it. It's all. I do know they had a green sh- screen behind him for the bridge part. Right. And they removed a panel away and brought it in while he went into the turbo lift. There's, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to quickly mention is one bit. Like this is another like really silly little moment that that I noticed yesterday when I was watching it. You know Alchin, Anton Yelchin, as we mentioned before, as, as Chekhov? Uh, he does the communications to the rest of the ship. Why is he stepping on Uhura's bit? Like, you know, even, no, not like that, not like that. But even in the final frontier, still a man's taking a woman's job. That's a very fair point, and it, you could open up a can um, of worms there. Uhura wasn't on the bridge at this point. Oh, there we she go. She the bri- yeah, bridge she officer. So yeah. it, oh, she yeah, wasn't she doesn't. Because... It's... It, it, no, because um, she doesn't get the communication job until Kirk gets on the bridge. Yes, because she, she the... can speak the three uh, dialects of Romulan, which uh, the Lieutenant can't, so Chekhov's actually taking the a bloke's job. Why is the navigator doing it? Okay, he's still making someone's job. <laughs> uh, 
Because he's well, unless wait until what... we get to Linda Darkness. He steals the engineer's job in that. He's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what you don't know is the guy who he actually stole the job from, who was doing the job before her, he was gay, so it's still not cool. <laughs> still taking a job away from a minority. <laughs> and so there we go. You've cracked the hidden code of Star Trek 09. It was always a, it was a gender pushing from the start. Um, so, yeah, the bit... Uh, when Nero's talking to um, Pike, and he says, "I'm Christopher Pike," blah blah blah, and I love um, what's it called, Eric Banner's uh, delivery. He just goes like, "Hello, Christopher, I'm Nero," <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just yeah, so weird. No formalities, there. Yeah, it's weirdly offhand. It's just, it's a great little bit. Hi, Christopher. <laughs> and I think there's also a touch there of like to begin with, he won't speak to the, you know, he won't speak apart from through someone. This time he knows his revenge is at hand. So ah, he's like, yeah. oh, sorry, I want a showboat right now. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd not picked up on that, but you're right, yeah. And we also get a mention of the red matter, which is J.J. Abrams is obsessed with red balls, basically. If you've... <laughs> Excuse me? Have you ever watched Alias, his TV show? No, some of it. It's all no, about. No, I didn't really watch it. It's all about Rambaldi and ancient prophecies and basically big red balls that look like this thing. And so it's just a, it's a JJ Abrams thing, and it's found its way into Star Trek here. So Kelvin like always appears in all of these yes, things. Yes, it does. Um, yeah. um, and then this is something I think we need to cover because there's a lot of this going on here. There's a lot of instant promotions going on in this film. Yeah. So, like, Pike promotes Spock and he promotes Kirk and Kirk goes from cadet to captain in about 20 minutes in this film. And Yeah. That's definitely for faith. Yeah. It's, again, you've just got to go with it, haven't you? It's, I mean, you've got to go with it, but I, I know what you mean. It's... Yeah. I mean, everything else you can sort of say... Because of all the time ones, because of this, that, and the other, there's really no decent justification why. No. Pike, who, who, even though he's mentoring this guy, has just made him captain. There's no. And, but well, you, you well, can Pike also... doesn't make him captain, he makes him commander, doesn't he? First yeah, officer. And yeah, then he... But even so. And but you know. You jump forward and say that but he makes him first the officer captain. and then throws really? him out of a shuttle. Nick, I was just saying something. No, I was just going to say that you could say the same about Simon Pegg, really, because he suddenly boards the ship and the next minute he's running engineering. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah. But at least he's got the rank to back that up. Whereas yeah. Kirk has just shown up and like, hey, cool, first officer. Yeah, exactly. And you could almost go, oh, okay, because, you know, sort of field promotions probably do stand, you know, if this happened in the real Navy or whatever... If the captain promotes you, it would probably stand as a field promotion. But then when this mission's over, they're not going to go, oh, okay, you're the captain now. They'd be like, right, you're going back to your academy tribunal that you had. You're still a cadet in training. Yeah. You, well, they might lucky. even say, look, you've, you've earned a promotion. Look, I'll tell you what, we'll make you a lieutenant or ensign. You know, we'll give you yeah. a rank. And you'll think you yourself know. lucky. Give you a sticker. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not going to make you bloody captain. And Spock... Yeah, it does seem a bit of a leap. Spock calls it out because Pike says it, and then Spock goes, the complexity of human pranks escapes me. <laughs> That's an amazing line. It is. It's brilliant. And yeah. we then get his big action sequence where they, they parachute down. And I love the fact that he goes, Kirk, Sulu, Olsen, 
You come with me. <laughs> like, right, who's going to die then? Yeah, who's the next Yeah. And, you know, and it's it's deliberate. They're, they're having fun with it, but it's, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a spectacular sequence, isn't it, the whole... It's a lovely sequence. Like, I assume you've seen the making of it, and you have to do it with mirrors, so... Yeah, yeah. And all sorts to be able to get the effects of them fo- jumping down. It's really bizarre, which shot. Oh, it looks awesome. And they've done what they've done throughout this whole film of just chucking these little nuggets of fan service, like, uh, oh, and uh, I'm combat trained in what? Fencing. So they got Sulu fencing, just these yeah. little bits. Yeah, and his sword's cool. It's like it flips oh, out. Like, yeah. Oh, I know. It's a flip fencing sword. Yeah, I want one of them. I didn't get fencing. He seemed more martial arts when he was actually in his no, fighting he, mode. Oh, but... well, oh, I know why. Why? That's not cool. So oh. Cool. oh, he seems more martial arts because he's Asian. Okay. No, I wasn't <laughs> no, saying right, that. So no. actually, it's cool. Just I saying, think it's. Yeah. Oh, it it's be... cool. So it's all right for you to stereotype. <laughs> you could <can> look you. <laughs> right. If can you two <laughs> save this argument stuff. until later? <laughs> That's all right. He's not going to last the episode. So well, <laughs> the thing is, because we're in lockdown, it's not like you can go and sleep on somebody's sofa. So you need to. Sort it out pretty quickly, son. Well, actually, I, I, I joke, but there is a a, a really cool bit, a part of this, that um, when they cast John Chow, he was reluctant to take the role because he's uh, Korean, not Japanese, yeah. as soon as it was originally. And he, he actually approached uh, George Kai, and George Kai said, no, no, of course, this was what it was all about. It was about different races. It doesn't matter that you're not uh, Japanese. It's about another race being represented on the bridge, and you're representing, in a way, Asian men like so we are represented so like he goes it would be against the spirit for me to say you can't play this because you're not yeah uh, so yeah. I think they totally got the spirit of it through that that was lovely I think they did yeah and yeah they, they do like you said they, they do capture that sort of Star Trek spirit even even though it's in a very different sort of format and yeah. this is where we, we sort of we get a load of things happening really quickly like you know, Kirk gets booted off the ship, he ends up on the planet, and this is where we get old Spock again. And Leonard Nimoy is just magnificent in this film. Well, we talked about this, didn't we, with um, with Jonathan Frakes Marine Service episode of Picard? Yeah. When you bring back old cast members, do it for a reason that really works. And yeah. this with Leonard Nimoy, they brought him back, which is a nice nod to the original series... But it's done really well. It serves a purpose in the movie. And yeah. he, his presence legitimises this whole thing. Like, if he hadn't been there to hand the torch over, I think this film would have struggled a lot more with the hardcore fans. But because he is there, it it gets, you know, it adds credence to it yeah, straight away. It needed, it needed the torch passing. It did. They've done it well. It's, it's like, we talked about this when they had DeForest Kelly in the first episode of TNG. Yeah. Yeah. And it's literally... It, it, there's no need for it. It does nothing whatsoever for the story. It's literally it's just there. Whereas yeah. with this uh, cameo, it does exactly what I said earlier. It, it Without him, you've got them rewriting the story we love. With him, it's continuing the story we love. Exactly. No, it's... I mean, and it just... His performance is just so full of, like, gravitas and... He's so dignified and everything in it. I just think he's he's absolutely amazing in it. And though I think he's struggling with his false teeth a little bit. 
He's good. You know. I, I think it's one of those things whereby, though, you only get to even even as great an actor as he is, you only get to do as wonderful performance as this if you've had this much familiarity, this much time in the role, and this much of earning it. So, like, we have seen the progression of him being done, the wolf, uh, logic logicist, if you will, to a, yeah. uh, a guy who walks two worlds. No, yeah. exactly. It's it is just brilliant, and all the I have been, always shall be your friend, and everything like that. It's just so well done, and it adds so much to these characters. And it again, it legitimizes sort of Pine as Kirk because you're seeing Nimoy reacting to him the same way he would do to Shatner. It yeah, it makes him that character. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. All that stuff's great down on the planet. We finally get Scotty and everything. Yeah, we look, We get uh, Spock loses his mum. She gets killed in the destruction of Vulcan. Like you just skipped over Vulcan. Ah, you know, I thought it was implied. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> very quickly, Vulcan's blown up. They've saved the High Council, but Spock's mum died. They couldn't save her. Yeah, it's a bit. Because the sort of beam in her, but she falls, and it's like uh, there's all sorts of gravitational disruptions yeah. going yeah, on. That's why it's all right. them getting the fix. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things whereby, like, I don't think transport works that way. It's like if you're mid transport and then someone falls. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, Elliot, and I, I think they've done just enough to justify it. Yeah, it's one of because them. it works for the story. I don't need it to be well, over top working for the logic of the. the re- yeah, I don't need. I don't. I, I can explain why it happened because of gravitational disruptions and all sorts. The, while they were struggling to get the lock, well, and why they had to have a countdown on beaming them out. The reason for it is because Jorel dies in Superman, so Amanda had to die in this one. Otherwise, well, she couldn't be Marlon Brando. That's oh, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, ah, yes, of course. What do you make? What do you reckon to Scotty's little mate, Keenser? I love him. Yeah, I love him. I um, like um, him. Yeah. Roy Deep plays him, who's also uh, been in uh, some Doctor Who, and he was an emblem. Oh, emblem. yeah, he, yeah. New, I didn't realise um, he played him. Really Wonka. I love him. I think he's great. Yeah, he's a strange character. He's a strange character through all the movies. He's just enough. You, you, you get just enough of him. Exactly what we were saying before with um, uh, the comedy moments with um, Kirk like with his hands growing large and everything, mm. you get just enough of that comedy beat without overplaying it. Yes. That character, you even give one more scene to me with that little guy, I would be, <laughs> I, I would turn off. I him. think like it's in, just, is it beyond where he starts snotting on everyone and it's yeah. like, I think they overplay <laughs> it in that one. Yeah, um, but, that, yeah I enjoy the, the amount he, they use him. Yeah, he's not like observing, is he? Sneezing like a vampire or... <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah, he went into lockdown after that. Well, that's it. That's why Scotty says it's because he, he beamed the beagle wrong, but it's obviously an outbreak and Scotty and Keats are... Uh, Oh, do you see, you keep on mentioning stuff. No, I was trying to think, like, moment when you said about the beagle, Admiral Archer. How yeah, perfect. It's great. But how he, old would Admiral Archer have been there? Oh, I don't know. Been like, knocking on a little bit, but I mean, the bigger question. 160. The, the they big, live a lot longer in those days. Like, I know they do, but oh, even oh, so. The it's bigger still... question is how old was Parthos? No, 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 no. Th- this is why it's perfect. I was about to say this. You just lined me up perfectly because. Um, he never when says it's Parthos. talking about. No, no, no. no I I don't, wait a second. 
when they say, <laughs> no, no, there's a line. There is a line in there. When um, um, Scott is talking about it, um, the beagle, he goes, she'll turn, like she, he says she at some point. Ah, very good. Porthos. So we know Porthos didn't get harmed, which is the important thing. No, yeah. and it's, and it's, and it's, just, and it's his prize beagle, so we don't yeah. know. It's one of those things, you do get people who always buy the same breed of dogs. Like, my granddad always yeah. had Jack Russells. It was... My auntie Pat always buys boxes. Yeah, oh, God, I know. Does she not like pants? Ladies. <laughs> oh, also, actually, that opens up an interesting idea. Because, what, uh, pants? No, no, what, what um, Elliot was saying, we don't know it's the same Archer. Admiral Archer could be his son or daughter. Possibly, yeah. also raises, raises Who beagles. also has beagles. She's up with them. Yeah, with it could be. Him. There you go. Yeah, we'll go with that. I think it's the archer, though. But, um, so you also get a good bit where uh, Spock's talking about you've got to take over the ship, and Kirk says, over your dead body, and Spock's, old Spock says, preferably not. <laughs> and that's <laughs> another just great line. And yeah. obviously this leads to the scene we talked about a bit at the beginning where Kirk and Spock, and Spock has his outburst and... He, yeah, incredibly violent. Like he's wailing on Kirk. Well, Leonard told him he's emotionally yeah, yeah, compromised at the moment. Yeah, I love that where he said, "You just have to get me to show it, and believe me, I am." It's <sighs> it's just brilliant, and it's Sarek who sort of gets Spock to stand down while all this is going on, and that's as you said earlier, where he says, "You know, that's I married her because I loved her and everything." So there's some great, great, great stuff. And yeah, this we pretty much from here we get to like the it's pretty much all action, isn't it? We get into the finale, they go over to Nero's ship and they get in a fight and everything. And one thing I heard about this bit is um this was during, do you remember the writers' strike? You know when well, they the Americans have them all the time. Yeah, but the the last sort of major <laughs> one that we had. And um so writers weren't allowed to write anything. So you weren't, but directors could direct and actors could act. So they were filming an action scene and J.J. Abrams wanted to change it a bit, but he wasn't allowed because that would involve, technically that would involve rewriting the script. So he had to sort of try and show them how he wanted to do it differently, but without saying I want to do it differently. And <laughs> Yeah, wasn't there, there, there was a case when they did this during the next generation film, they had a similarly very long ride strike. Like, yeah, it was season two. Really yeah. Long ride strikes are very rare. Um, and that one, like, yeah, during next generation time, they had to, like, um, send a thing to the writers going, oh, we believe these are your ideas. Um, just say yes or no. Were you going in this direction? Yeah. And they'd ask some very broad questions. And that's why there's so many wackadoo kind of episodes. And this is, yeah, apparently, like, this was, it was written a lot more hand to handy. Uh, but JJ decided I want a little bit more shooty shooty. So by his description, he ended up sort of going pew, 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 you know, to try and get the actors to. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like they had fun anyway. So there's all that going on, and Kirk gets a big fight with the henchman, and then Spock's flying the jellyfish around, and there's that great bit where it's like um, it recognizes him, and it, it, Kirk goes, "Oh, that's weird." And <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, can, can you play this thing? I believe I already have. Yeah, that's great. And then obviously. It leads to the basically they defeat them and whatnot, and you get that bit where Kirk says, um, "Oh, I'm I'm offering help. I thought you'd like that." And Spock's like, "Not on this occasion." Yeah, that's wonderful. 
and it, and it is like that is the kind of showing where they're crystallizing as friends. Yeah, they, they've got each other. They've uh, realized they they play off each other. Yeah, and what one likes the other one has, and it's wonderful. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It's the both sort of taking the best of each other in that moment, and um, yeah, it works really well. I'm sure and you can fact, get uh, just throw into that. I think it is even more emphasize why it works that um they're having that moment so early on in their relationship is because in fact the way that kirk's lives played out differently makes their differences even more profound and makes them challenge each other even more so yeah i maybe think it does even a bit more ground earlier on together yeah. yeah maybe it's like the timeline correcting itself kind of but well, even more so well even more so yeah and yeah. yeah, so that sort of brings us to the end of all the action, but we get some lovely scenes at the end, like the scene with the two Spocks is amazing. Oh, yeah, <sighs> so that is good. Yeah. And like, you know, my customary greeting would be oddly self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's fantastic. And then you, them all coming together on the bridge. And everything. I mean, I, I think it's absolutely hair-raising. I just think it's yeah. it's amazing. Can yeah, we just I like how uh, Spock asks for the job of first officer. Yes, and yeah. tells him I can give you, I can provide written references. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just I, great. I, I, I want to take it back to that bit with uh, the two Spocks together. It's when um, Spock Junior will call him <laughs> when he's going that um, when, when he says about like, uh, oh, so you lied to to um, Kirk about about like the the effects on the timeline and stuff um an emission you know which is yeah. called back to in star trek 6 where they yes euphemisms for lie which is wonderful and just it, it builds that richness back in yeah it's got the whole thing of it's the first time where like again it's one of those things where he is emotional enough that he can suggest and say these things and then young spock can hear them but he can't admit these hurt yeah things, this is like, it and it's just it, it's perfect. It is. Yeah. And Spock, uh, well, Leonard Nimoy, Spock doing the voiceover at the end is fantastic. Like, you know, all respect to everyone else who's done that voiceover, but here and in Star Trek 2, I do think Leonard oh, Nimoy does it best. Yes. Yeah, it, it was nice that they let him do it again, that they didn't have was. the baton over yeah. one of the new actors to do it well, straight away. It, yeah, because Chris Pine does it in Star Trek in Into Darkness, and then all of them sort of do it in the last one. And Yeah. But yeah, it was amazing having him do it. And then to finish with the music, to have the old music, you know, it's the new score mixed with the old theme tune. But it, I just remember seeing it in the cinema and just coming out with this massive grin on my face. It was... Yeah, it's like the reality is, is Star Trek has some great music going all the way does, back. yeah. So why ignore it when you've got all this wonderful oh, yeah. stuff that you can use? Well, that's the thing. It's a feeling. This movie is just full of a feeling. Like, if, if you're a new person coming into it, I believe you enjoy it as a new piece of art. If you're a lifelong Star Trek fan, this is everything you've seen so far being brought together in one movie. It's got the old, it's got the new, it's got, like, the evolution of a story through Spock Prime, but it's also got that original crew, you know, the, the young versions of the original crew. Yeah. So you've got all those feelings around it. And for me, when I went to see it, I went with um, my um, my kids and my ex-wife. And to see it with a family, it was just so wonderful to like to, to look at Stuart and see him kind of really getting into it and aiming yeah. at my kids. Mm-hmm. And now to, to share it with Nicola, who's kind of a lifelong Star Trek fan as well. And like, you know, like I actually have to give a little shout out to my ex-wife just because she went along, I think, because I was into it. And I think she enjoyed it, but mm. not on the same level. 
But now to be with someone who enjoys it on the same level as me is just so extra special. It's just amazing. It just means so much to me. Aww, and that's say, what you big softy. And that's what this yeah. movie is. He's trying me. to redeem himself. That's now. it. He's he trying knows, to claw it he back. He knows it's nearly the end of the show. And she <laughs> might be a bit racist, but apart from that, I'm <laughs> <laughs> And on that bombshell. On that bombshell. <laughs> yeah, we'll, um, we best wrap up, guys. But um, thank you for coming and joining us and going over it. We will get the other Kelvin films done at some point. Uh, but it's been great it's having bad. you back on the show. <laughs> Uh, if anyone listening wants to get in touch with us, uh, we're at Retrek Pod on Twitter. It's uh, if you look for us on Facebook, put Retrek in, you'll find the group, um, or you can email us retrekpod at gmail dot com. Uh, but thanks for trekking with us this oh, time. Elliot. In fact, that's your yeah, line, Squee. Just sorry, just before we sign off. Sorry, I I'm, I know it's your show. Now, you know, you you've you've taken on loops and bounds. Do we still give a rating though at the end of the movie ones? Because. We, we, you know what? We can do. We can do. We've not yeah, done a movie since you guys were on, what, so... What were we scoring them out of out of I, 10? Well, I think we made something up for every one. So this one, we I think it did. should be... How many spot primes out of uh, 10 does it get? Um, I'll, I'll, We'll go around the table, so Elliot? Um, I'm going to give it an 8. Stop, 8 spot primes. Okay, Nicola? Yeah, I'm going to jump up to an 8.5 because I love Zachary Quinto and he does no wrong <laughs> Squee? Yeah, I had to take points off because we didn't mention it, but I hate what they did with engineering. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to go nine. Uh, like, just so much fan service in there. The only thing which stops it being perfect. I mean, there, there is just, it's a weird thing because uh, Star Trek's all about the, the journey and about the uh, character. Like, actually, the bit with probably Nero's finale is probably the least exciting for me because yes. I like the journey of the characters. Yeah, I think the villain's a little bit weak. I'm with you, though. I give it nine spot primes as well. So oh, sorry, it's, still, it's still scored quite high. I think we can say yeah. a very successful film. Whether yeah. Into Darkness will score as highly? Ooh. Who knows? But we'll, <laughs> we'll come on to that one in the future. Yeah, I must admit, I enjoyed re-watching really it. I did. Love it. So, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I loved it. So Squee, do you want to to do your sign off line since you originated it? Oh, so I'd be honored. Um thank you for joining us uh, to Trek this week. Join us next week on the Retrek. Yeah.